All right, good morning, everybody. Some of, somebody must have prayed over those trees I planted out there because as soon as I got done planting them, they started turning yellow and the leaves were dropping. I'm like, okay, well, that was, that was wasted money. They were seven bucks each at Walmart. And I'm like, okay. And I come back and all of a sudden they're green and coming back again. So I don't know. I'm excited. I, I've killed more trees that I've planted out here than... So anyway. I do not have a green thumb. I don't. We're going to finish up the book of Leviticus this morning. If you want to turn to... Yes, ma'am. Go ahead. She is here. (laughs) Is she in the room? I can't even see her. You better. And tell her it wasn't me. I will. She'll appreciate it. Well, she's like clear in the back. Okay. All right. Hey, uh, after second service, we're having Kentucky Fried Chicken, if you want to come back for that, for the potluck. Also, baptism and packing party. Packing party here for the Africa backpacks going over to the kids over there at the orphanage. And then also, um, we're going to do a baptism at the same time out at Mazingo. So you can kind of choose what you want to do. It'll be around 1.30 for both of them. takes time for us to minister after second service and then set up. Uh, and then we'll do the packing party and we'll be out there for the baptism. And then we'll all come back here together. Uh, for that potluck at, at uh, well, whenever we get back here, I guess. You guys get, if you guys get done packing really fast, you'll get all the Kentucky Fried Chicken breasts, and then we'll get all the legs and the wings when we get back from the baptism. So I'm going to have to dunk you really, really quick, just really fast. I'm just kidding. She's not going to come. You know that, right? This is like a worst-case scenario here. We should probably all just get up and walk out there, I suppose. Oh, here she comes. Now. She's not happy. I know I'm in trouble. Not me. It was your dear sister, and she wanted to share the birthday with everybody. So happy birthday to you. Happy birthday. Day to you. Happy birthday, dear Jenny. Happy birthday to you. Thank you, Christy. She's 72 today. Yeah. All right. As Moses finishes up Leviticus here, um, I'm debating on what we should do next, which book. Um, because Leviticus here at the end tells us what, you sh- what, what it's supposed to happen when you obey and what happens when you don't, um, I don't know whether to go on to when they don't, because they don't, or go to write to Hebrews to see what the better promise is and give us a break from, <laughs> it's a little hard to, to read to watch all these wonderful things that God gives this nation um, just because he loves them and watch them trample over it. Um, So anyway, I'm I'm in that valley of decision, I guess. I don't know which to go through. So let's finish it up. Verse 1 of chapter 26, You shall not make idols for yourselves, neither a carved image nor a sacred pillar. You shall 
rear up for yourselves, nor shall you set up an engraved stone in your land to bow down to it, for I am the Lord your God. You shall keep my Sabbaths and reverence my sanctuary. I am the Lord. And then the next section, 3 through 13, describes what happens when they do keep those very simple three things he mentions. He mentions that you need to have no idols, nothing that's going to take the place of God himself, the one who brought you out of the land of Egypt. I am who I am. I'm the, I'm the one, and, and, and you can't manufacture me, and I, I don't want you making any images of me, because, you know, to be honest with you, he doesn't say this, but I will. It wouldn't do him justice. I mean, how, how are you going to make an image of God if the earth is his footstool? I mean, good luck. I'm making an idol that's worthy of him, and so you can't. And I don't want you to set that up. It doesn't mean you can't set up different things in your life, like scriptures on your, on your house or maybe a, a cross around your neck. Those things are reminders of, of him. They're symbols. They're not him, and you don't bow down to them. And that's important. That's the distinction here. Don't set these things up to bow down to them. And so don't do that, because that's what the people used to do. They used to make images of what they thought God was like, and the images looked an awful lot like them. If you ever notice those artist renditions of Jesus or anybody else, and they paint an actual life-size portrait. Um, that's not what he looked like. But it's amazing if you put the artist right next to him, it sure does look an awful lot like the guy painting. No offense, I mean, what do you have to go off of? You are kind of, you know, you're spitballing here. I don't know if he's got curly hair, short hair, long hair, blonde hair, probably not blonde, probably not blue eyes, but we'll do it anyway since that's what I have. It's hard. So God says, just don't even try. Let's just have like a spiritual relationship where I am who I am and you are who you are and you just acknowledge me as God. And if you want to see my glory since you can't see me face to face, like the song we sang, look at creation all around you. It screams my name and what I'm like. I've already built you stuff. I don't want you to bow down to the trees. You don't bow down to the glory. You don't bow down to the creation. But if you want to know what I'm like, this is what I'm like. So don't do that. The second thing he tells them to do is, I want you to keep my Sabbaths, all of them. All the Sabbaths. I want that rest to be a part of your life in every way, shape, or form. The days off I give you every week. The weeks off I give you month by month. And the year off I give you in the year of Jubilee. I want you, or in, the, in the seventh year, I want you to take those Sabbaths. I want you to find that rest. I want you to think about me during those restful times. Because this is what I give you. I give you rest. You know, I feel guilty sometimes when I'm not doing something constantly. I think we all feel that way. Maybe. Maybe you don't. Maybe you're like, no, I'm fine. Well, I feel guilty. Like, if I'm sitting around and I'm just, you know, just kind of relaxing, I see other people in the house doing stuff. It's like, well, I can't be sitting here with them doing stuff. And that's probably a good thing. I mean, it's a good thing that I notice that they're working and I should be alongside helping. I'm not going, yeah, it's about time you got up and did that. You know, you don't want to be that kind of person. But I have a hard time sitting still. I have a hard time resting when everybody else isn't. I want them all to rest. And so th- that's what makes me comfortable. That's what gives me that permission, I guess, to rest. God is saying, I want you to know I'm giving you permission to take these days off. I'm giving you permission to take a week off. I'm giving you permission to take a whole year off. I want you all to rest. Some of you might try to run around and be busy. You're going to get in big trouble if you do that because then other people see that and they don't feel like they have that permission anymore. It's a group effort is the idea. Take that day off. Find that rest. Likewise, in Christianity, 
Because we have Jesus and he is our Sabbath and he is our rest, every Christian needs to be resting in the grace of Jesus Christ. We all have to be there because if I find somebody, and this is the tendency, I see somebody working harder, being better, doing more, I feel like, well, I better work harder and do more because I'm not sure I'm as accepted as they are to Christ when I am and we are. You've got to stay there in that place of grace, in that Sabbath of Christ. And so likewise, then the final thing is reverence my sanctuary. I want you to be respectful of me. I've made this for you, a place where we can meet. I want that to be that important to you. This one place, whether that's the tabernacle or the temple, I want you to reverence it because this is where we meet. This is our date night. This is where we get together. This is where we spend time. This is where we're intimate. This is where we see each other. You know, I want that to be a respectful time for you. And, and we have that as Christians. Is it respectful? Are we respectful about that time? I, I I can't imagine if I was trying to woo Jenny into being my wife and to reading a book on uh, one minute with Jenny. How to pack in one minute with Jenny. Get the most out of it because I know you're busy, but get one minute with Jenny. And we have those books, one minute with God in the morning, one minute with Jesus. Hey, I got this great book. Jesus, this is going to be the best minute of my day ever. Who says that? And how do we think that that's okay with him? And how do we think that he's like, great, you know, now we respect that time with God. We respect that place where we meet him. We respect him at the cross. It's at the cross. That's where we meet Jesus, at the foot of the cross. And we respect and we reverence that place. We keep that in the forefront of our minds. So don't do that. Stay away from idols. Don't try to get ahead. That's what really the problem is with the Sabbath. The only reason you'd be doing anything else on the Sabbath is to gain. I'm trying to get ahead of everybody else. I'm trying to get that jump the early bird gets the worm kind of mentality on, on, on those days of rest kind of thing. I don't want you doing that. I want everybody just to relax. I'll take care of you. And then don't disrespect where we meet. Be reverent about my sanctuary. And so that's the good thing. Now he gives you all the benefits of what's going to happen when you do that. Verse 3, if you walk in my statutes and keep my commandments and perform them, then I will give you rain in its season. The land shall yield its produce, and the trees of the field shall yield their fruit. Your threshing shall last till the time of vintage, and the vintage shall last till the time of sowing, and you shall eat your bread to the full and dwell in your land safely. I will give you peace in the land, and you shall lie down, and none will make you afraid. I will rid the land of evil beasts, and the sword will not go through your land. You will chase your enemies, and they shall fall by the sword before you. Five of you shall chase a hundred, and a hundred of you shall put ten thousand to flight. Your enemies shall fall by the sword before you. For I will look on you favorably and make you fruitful, multiply you, and confirm my covenant with you. You shall eat the old harvest and clear out the old because of the new. I will set my tabernacle among you, and my soul shall not abhor you. I will walk among you and be your God, and you shall be my people. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, that you should not be their slaves. I have broken the bands of your yoke and made you walk upright. Wouldn't that be great if that's the end? Ah, yes. And that's where the Leviticus closes. And now let's all pray and go our way. You know, because that's how it's supposed to be. It's so simple. Hey, just do those things I told you to do, and it's going to be amazing. I've taken you out of that place where you were hunched over with heavy burdens, forced 
through slavery to do the bidding of somebody else. I've cut all those away from you. Now you can stand upright. You are free to walk this land and, and have all the blessing coming to you. It's not going to other people. Your work, your labor isn't going to go to them. It's going to go to you. You're going to reap that fruit. It's going to be a fantastic time, and I will be your God, and you will be my people. It's very important to him. You can hear his voice in this almost. I'm going to be your God, and you're going to be my people, and it's going to be great. That's what he wanted. That's what he saw. That's what he's given us opportunity for. And as Christians, we have that same opportunity. That rain's going to fall. The vintage is going to come. The, the, the harvest will be there. It's all going to be there. You just worry about what I've told you to worry about. I'll take care of everything else. You do your part, and I'll do my part. And that was the problem with this. That was the one problem. Because we know that God is faithful. God will always do what he says he's going to do. It's our side of the contract that was weak. It was our faithfulness that was lacking and will be lacking. It's our signature that's not worth anything. Because they fail. They don't worry about the things he asked them to worry about. He, they don't do the things he commanded them to do. They, they actually do make idols. They actually do try to get ahead on the Sabbath. They actually do disrespect his temple. They do everything that he asked them not to do. And then, in the same breath, they expected him to continue his side of the bargain, to continue his part of the contract. And they couldn't understand why. We'll read about that here in Malachi in a minute. But that's how it was supposed to be. Now, verse 14 is what God says is going to happen if you don't. These are as true as the promises we just read. These are promises as well. If you do what I tell you to do, I promise this will happen. If you don't do what I asked you to do or commanded you to do, I promise this will happen. And he's always faithful. But if you do not obey me and do not observe all these commandments, and if you despise my statutes, or if your soul abhors my judgments despising and abhorring. It wasn't just inconvenient for them. They hated them. It grated on them. It bothered them that that was going to take place. I can't believe that I have to give this goat up, this lamb up. I can't believe it's the firstborn. I can't believe this, that, or the other. They abhorred it. They didn't see the blessing that attached to it. They didn't see the beauty. The relationship with God was not important to them. What they hated was the fact they had to do anything that they didn't want to do. So that you do not perform all all my commandments, but break my covenant, I also will do this to you. I will even appoint terror over you, wasting disease and fever, which shall consume the eyes and cause sorrow of heart. You shall sow your seed in vain, for your enemies shall eat it. They would plant their crops, and when harvest time would come in, the other nations would come in and steal it from them and leave them with just the bare minimum to survive to plant the next crop. They were slaves in their own land, basically. I will set my face against you, and you shall be defeated by your enemies. See, I don't want to see God's face in my life. I want to see his back. I want to be right behind him is the idea. When I see him face to face and he's looking at me and not at the enemies, that's the concern. He says, I'm going to turn my face to you. God's hedge of protection is around the nation of Israel. The world's still an ugly place. The world's still full of sin and evil, except God is their God. And so none of that can consume them. None of that can enter and and break through that barrier unless they decide to break through. And when they decide to break through, that lets all that floodgate back in. What was protected, what was kept from them is now allowed in by their own sinful desires. Don't you understand? This is the 
force field. This is the protection. This is the wall, the barrier, the hedge, however you want to put it. I am it. You remove me, you remove it. And what was held back, what was restrained is no longer restrained. We have that same problem in our country today. You cannot have what we had without God. He is the one that keeps us safe. He is the protection. He is. It's not our military. It's not our nukes. It's not our abilities. We can't make America great again, but we can do that through God by turning back to Him. We can't make it great again, but He can make it great again if we rely on Him and allow Him to be that all in all that He was before. And we're moving in the right direction, I might add. It's a good thing. No matter what you think of our current president, I don't know what you think, remember what the choice was. Remember what our options were. And we are moving in the right direction now as opposed to the wrong direction. We're not going to be socialists. We're not going to be communists. We're not going to kill our babies at will. We're not going to turn into someone who takes from everybody else's labors and gives it to people who don't. We're not going to be that anymore. That was our option. Remember who our option was. We're moving in the right direction. God is using the tool in the White House for His direction so far. And that's a good thing. I don't know how long it'll last. It'll be up to us. But we've been given a reprieve from what's about to happen here in verse 14. Terror will come upon you. Diseases will consume you. And verse 17, I will set my face against you and you shall be defeated by your enemies. Those who hate you shall reign over you. And you shall flee when no one pursues you. We had eight years of that. Someone who thought they had to apologize for our nation all over the world. Those who actually had such self-loathing about our country was ruling and reigning. We had that. Guys, we're reading it. We've been given a break. It's up to us whether we keep it. I don't think we've gone near far enough, but we're definitely going in a different direction, which is good. And after all this, if you do not obey me, in other words, this is all designed to bring you back to me. There's going to be terror. Those who hate you shall reign over you. That's meant to bring you back to me. But if you do not obey me, then I will punish you seven times more for your sins, and I will break the pride of your power. It's not your power. It's not our power. It's not our might. It's by the Spirit of the Lord. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And without the Spirit of the Lord, there isn't. That's the idea. We must have the Lord. But if you won't turn, if you won't come back to me, I'll break that pride of your power. I will make your heavens like iron and your earth like bronze. In other words, you can't get ahead no matter how hard you try. And your strength shall be spent in vain. For your land shall not yield its produce, nor shall the trees of the land yield their fruit. Then if you walk contrary to me and are not willing to obey me, um, I will bring on you seven times more plagues according to your sins. I will also send wild beasts among you, which shall rob you of your children, destroy your livestock, and make you few in number, and your highways shall be desolate. And if by these things you are not reformed by me, but walk contrary to me. In other words, if that's not enough to get you to turn back to me, remember, that's the purpose of all these things. Then I also will walk contrary to you, and I will punish you yet seven times for your sins. 
And I will bring a sword against you that will execute the vengeance of the covenant. When you are gathered together within your cities, I will send pestilence among you, and you shall be delivered into the hand of the enemy. When I have cut off your supply of bread, ten women shall bake your bread in one oven, and they shall bring back your bread by weight. In other words, it's going to be rationed. You shall eat and not be satisfied. And after all this, if you do not obey me, but walk contrary to me, in other words, if you haven't turned your heart back to the God yet, then I will also walk contrary to you in fury. And I, even I, will chastise you seven times for your sins. You shall eat the flesh of your sons. You shall eat the flesh of your daughters. What they mean by that is, well, besides that, there's going to be such a shortage of food after the children die. That's what you're going to boil and serve. Because that's all there is to eat. And you're going to see that take place in the nation of Israel as we continue on. They actually do all these things. He's actually prophesying right now. I will destroy your high places, cut down your incense altar, and cast your carcasses on the lifeless forms of your idols. In other words, I'm not going to do any of this until those high places are built. That's where they would go up to worship their other gods. In the groves of trees hidden, those were, those were uh, sacred places where they would do unspeakable things. Incense altars, these are to other gods in other places other than prescribed by God. And then these idols, I'm going to knock them all down. It's not okay. It's not okay to have all these other things out there. It's not okay. And if we won't knock them down, God will knock them down. And my soul shall abhor you. I will lay your cities waste and bring your sanctuaries to desolation. The churches will be empty. And I will not smell the fragrance of your sweet aromas. I will bring the land to desolation, and your enemies who dwell in it shall be astonished at it. I will scatter you among the nations and draw out a sword after you. Your land shall be desolate and your cities waste, and the land shall enjoy its Sabbaths. In other words, if you're not going to let that seventh year rest, if you're not going to let the land rest, I'll move you out so that it can. I'm not going to let the land be a slave to you. I set you free. I've given you a day off. You need to give it a year off. That's what we do. That's how you do it. And if you don't, I'll move you out so that it can still have it because I'm going to protect it. I'm going to make sure it gets its rest. And this is where the Babylonian captivity comes into play. In fact, Daniel uses this set of scriptures here to explain what's happening to the nation of Israel. Daniel, who is in Babylon, writes the book of Daniel and explains to the people, here's what's happening and why. And he points to this section of scripture in Leviticus. The land shall enjoy its Sabbaths as long as it lies desolate and you are in your enemy's land. And and the land shall rest and enjoy its Sabbaths. As long as it lies desolate, it shall rest. For the time it did not rest on your Sabbaths when you dwelt in it. And as for those of you who are left, I will send faintness or fear into the hearts of the lands of their enemies. The sound of a shaken leaf shall cause them to flee. They shall flee as though fleeing from the sword, and they shall fall when no one pursues. We'll be scared of our own shadow. They shall stumble over one another, as it were before a sword, when no one pursues, and you shall have no power to stand before your enemies. That actually takes place on the other side of things in 1 Samuel 14, 1-23. We won't read it, 
But when Jonathan and his armor bearer go over to the Philistines, they, they don't know what to do. There's a standoff between the two armies, the ungodly nation and the godly nation. Saul not exactly being the godly leader he should be, but Jonathan being the godly son, walks over there with his armor bearer, hides in the rocks and says, okay, here's what's going to happen. If they ask us to come up, we know God's got them. We're going to win. If they say they're going to come down to us, we're going to run back. And so they see us, they see these guys down there, and they say, why don't you guys come on up here? And Jonathan's like, yes, we're going to beat them. The armor bearer's going, okay, you know. And they go up and they start to wipe out this entire nation, just these two guys. The whole nation, all the Philistines are just falling. And Saul looks across the land and sees them all kind of melting away. He sees them all falling. He's like, what in the world's going on there? Who went over there? Call the roll. Who's over there? What's, where's our troops? They found out everybody's here. It's just, just Jonathan and his armor bearer. You know, they're looking and this whole thing. Is, and all the Philistines are fighting each other. They're actually falling on each other's swords and killing. And Jonathan's armor bearer is just going, stab, stab. Just finishing them off as Jonathan wipes out this entire army. That's all the armor bearer does. But yeah, I know, I, I smile at that. A lot of people are like, ew, ew. I'm like, I don't know. That's kind of awesome. But that's not the case for the land of Israel in this section of Scripture. They, he says it's going to happen to you. You're going to fall on your own sword. You're going to be one after another. You're going to be divided against each other. You're going to be fighting. There'll be infighting going on. This is where I pause to think whether I should <laughs> share it. And then, of course, you know the end result is I will. Well, you know, I used to carry a concealed weapon because of certain reasons. Now I carry a concealed weapon because everybody else is carrying a concealed weapon. Honestly, I thought when I first started carrying, I was like, okay, yeah, I'll be there. Who wants to be that far from a defense when things go down? I want to be there and able to help all those around me. That's the idea. And I still have that thought. But then I also see the hotheads that are also getting the... And now there's two reasons I'm carrying. Because I don't know who's going to get mad when I cut them off by mistake. I don't know what's going to happen when things... It's happening. It's, nothing wrong with it. Don't get me wrong. I'm not, a, I'm not opposed to that. I'm just saying... It's going to get a little Wild Westish around here pretty quick. Um, of course, we trust in the Lord for our protection. We always do. But then again, we're also called not to be sheep. We're also called to be sheep dogs. So there's that balance going on inside of my head, you know, trying to keep that straight, the right heart, um, cool head, led by the Spirit, but also willing and able, just like Jonathan, no different, or just like David having that same heart towards God. This is beginning. Um, I don't know why or where it stops or where it turns or when it's, you know, but we need to stop just trying to make our land prosperous again. And we need to have our land looking towards God again. There's a difference. Prosperity from our own hands doesn't do us any good. Prosperity from God does make a difference. Makes a big difference. We need Jesus. We need to have him to be Lord. He needs to be the king of our kingdom. <laughs> and he is, whether we agree or that we just need to believe it and accept that. Anyway, you shall perish among the nations, and the land of your enemies shall eat you up. And those of you who are left shall waste away in their iniquity in your enemies' lands, also their father's iniquity, 
which are with them. They shall waste away. But if they confess their iniquity, this is the bright side. It doesn't have to be like that. It doesn't always have to be like that. If you find yourself in this position, there's a way out of it. If they confess their iniquity and the iniquity of their fathers, which their unfaithfulness in which they were unfaithful to me, and that they have uh, walked contrary to me, and that I also have walked contrary to them and have brought them into the land of their enemies, if their uncircumcised hearts are humbled and they accept their guilt, then I will remember my covenant with Jacob and my covenant with Isaac, and my covenant with Abraham. I will remember. I will remember the land. I'll do it. If, you know, if we humble ourselves and pray and seek the Lord, he will. He will. The land also shall be left empty by them and will enjoy its Sabbaths while it lies desolate without them. They will accept their guilt because they despise my judgments, and because their soul abhorred my statutes. Yet for all that, when they are in the land of their enemies, I will not cast them away, nor shall I abhor them to utterly destroy them and break my covenant with them, for I am the Lord their God. I may be upset with them, I may be punishing them, I may be trying to right the ship, but I'm not going to forget them. But for their sake, I will remember the covenant of their ancestors whom I brought out of the land of Egypt in the sight of the nations that I might be their God. I am the Lord. These are the statutes and the judgments and laws which the Lord made between himself and the children of Israel on Mount Sinai by the hand of Moses. Now he adds this second section here, this last one, chapter 27. He writes about how dedicating things to God. These are vows that you might make. Above and beyond all the rules and the commandments, if you're going to vow and say, I know my firstborn son is yours, and and I dedicate him to you. I also want to dedicate my second son and my daughters. I want to dedicate them to you. That's fine. You don't like you don't like turn them over at the church doors. You keep them, but you kind of you pay for them. You give them the money for these folks. Is the idea, and that this is what this is about. The first section one through eight is a valuation of them. Remember, God's never asked them to do this. This is if they want to do it of their own free will, above and beyond what God has asked. That's fine, but God takes it serious. In other words, you don't just walk up and say, I'm giving my second son to you also. Well, that's great. Show me. I, I'm taking you seriously. You're actually giving him to me, so pay me for him. Because you're gonna, I'm leasing him back to you. If you're not going to drop him off at the doors and you're going to keep him, then he's of value to me. He's worth 50 shekels of gold to me now since you've given him to me. You can have him back, but I want that. Well, I don't know it's really going to cost me more than words. I know it's actually going to actually come out of my wallet. Yeah, it does. So there's a valuation technique that they've got going on here, and that's what these first one through eight. I'm not going to read it to you because that's basically what it says. This is about the, the people. Now, section 9 through oh, 13 is about animals. If you don't want to give the, you know, you give the firstborn animal, you're required to do that. The tenth is his, the tithe is his of everything, crops, animals, whatever. It's all his automatically. You want to go above and beyond that and give an extra animal or another donkey or something like that. And, and you, know that the, you, know, you can either actually give the donkey to them to use to plow their fields or whatever, or you can evaluate it and say, I'm dedicating this to the Lord just because I'm so excited for what God's done. You, know? you could do that, and then they would make an evaluation of it. But it wasn't just in word only. It was actually in, there was substance to it. The final thing is uh, 14 through 15 is a house. 
and then 16 on through mm, 27 is about land. You could do that. You could still keep it. You could still use it. You could still live in it, but you're dedicating it to God. In other words, you're actually transferring ownership over to them. You're just a tenant now at that place. If you ever wanted to get it back, if you ever wanted to take your son back and you know he was going to go someplace else and not be dedicated to the Lord or that animal or whatever it is, you actually had to pay them back more to get it back. You can keep the house, I guess, if you want to bring it back and sell it and give it to somebody else, but you owe us for that. There was actually some tangible assets associated with this, not just a verbal commitment. Ecclesiastes 5.5 says it's better not to vow than to vow and not pay. We may not take it serious when we say, God, I promise, but God certainly takes it serious when we do. He'd rather us just do better. He'd rather us just see the actions. Don't tell me how great this is. I want to I see it. Don't just promise me all these great things you're going to do. You're going to, you know, if I get you out of this one situation, you'll never ask me for another thing. You know, we sound like our kids, don't we? If you get me this one toy, I'm never, ever going to ask for anything again. you not telling the truth, little kid. I know you because I said that same thing. And it was great, and I really kept my word for a week. But then I asked for something else. And God's never asked us to vow. Keep that in mind. He's never asked us to vow. No, I just, I just, I just want you to obey. Don't vow. I get worried about people that says, "I swear on my mother's grave and all that's holy in the world." I'm like, "Oh, you're lying." If you got to do all that, that means your word's worth nothing. Because you've got to add all to it, this, to your word, which means it should just be let let your yes be yes and your no be no. That should be enough. But if I've reneged so many times that I have to add all this other flowery stuff to it, I'll tell you what, why don't you just give me your car and then I know you're coming back kind of thing. Well, God says, if you're going to do this, that's fine, but I take it serious. There's a valuation associated with it, and it's, uh, five, it's a 20% above and beyond what that person's worth if you want to buy him back, is the idea. So he does all this. What does that mean for us? Verse 28, Nevertheless, no devoted offering that a man may devote to the Lord of all that he has, both man and beast, or field or his possession, shall be sold or redeemed. Every devoted offering is most holy to the Lord. No person under the ban uh, who may become doomed to destruction among men shall be redeemed, but shall surely be put to death. And all the tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or the fruit of the trees, is the Lord's. It's not promised. It's not something you can add. It's automatically His. It is holy to the Lord. If a man wants at all to redeem any of his tithes, he shall add one-fifth to it. Hey, that's some good seed. I mean, I'm supposed to give it to the priests, the Levites, but that's really good seed. I think I'd buy it back. I think I'd rather keep it and give them the money. That's fine. Add 20% to its value is the idea. But it's God's. Every tenth goat, every tenth sheep, every tenth don't, everything. Every tenth is automatically his, good, bad, or ugly. That's his. You can't come along and go one, two, three, four, nine is a scraggly goat and ten is a beautiful goat and try to switch places with them so you can keep number ten and give him nine. No, it's his. Oh, I was going to use that one for breeding. Fine. But it's 20% more. than You can keep the goat, but you need to pay its value plus 20% if you want to do that. So you can do that. 
And concerning the tithe of the herd or the flock or whatever passes under the rod, the tenth one shall be holy to the Lord. He shall not inquire whether it is good or bad, nor shall he exchange it. But if he exchanges it at all, then both it and the one exchanged for it shall be holy. It shall not be redeemed. These are the commandments uh, which the Lord commanded Moses for the children of Israel on Mount Sinai. I just wanted to finish up with this. They actually do, remember, they don't let the land rest on their Sabbath. That's one of the reasons they're coming out. They actually do uh, say to these things, my house is Corban. It's dedicated to God. And so that they couldn't bless their mom and dad. They could live there rent-free, of course, but their mom and dad wouldn't get the blessing of it or anything. And then finally, Malachi 3, and this is where I want to close. Malachi 3, verse 8. This is another reason. This is a, a, a minor prophet, Malachi. Minor only because he's small. It's a short chapter or short book. But he describes this wonderful conversation between, it's, it's a fictitious conversation between God and the people of Israel. Will a man rob God? Yet you've robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You were cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. You tried to keep that stuff back. No, it's not a promise. It wasn't a, a gift from you to me. It, it was mine. It already was mine. I've given you ten. All I asked for was one of those back. It was already mine to give, and then you're supposed to give it back. I gave you the tithe, is the idea. But you didn't give it. You robbed me. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there might be food in my house, and try me now in this. Test me says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such a blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. You thought you were gaining by keeping that 10% back. I'm saying that that 9% you have is because of the 10% you gave. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. And all nations will call you blessed for you will be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. Give him that rest, you know. Give him those things back. Give him your time. Give him those things back. Don't hold back from God. We, Christianity is very active with the Lord. It's an active relationship with God. Giving thanks, as we prayed earlier after singing, you know, for all the things that he's given us, for all the things that he's done. We give him thanks for those. That acknowledges the fact that they come from him, not from our own hands. And we don't thank him uh, flippantly. Oh, thank you, God, for all this food, which we were about to see by the hands of... You know, I don't know what the thing is. No, thank you, God. I mean, I have meat every single day. I have vegetables every single day. I have, I have three choices of drink in my refrigerator at any given time. Sometimes three different kinds of juices. We are blessed above and beyond. I open that fridge and I look at this and I say, nobody in the world has this like this. Nobody can do this. This is amazing. I got a little thing that gives me absolutely, not just purified water from the tap, but then triple purified through my refrigerator. I recognize that. I understand that. I th- this is unbelievable. It takes forever. I wish the stream was bigger on those things. I'm just kidding. I'm not complaining. But man, that's good water. It's unbelievable. I mean, it's like it's coming right from heaven. It's just amazing how pure and awesome it is. And I don't take that for granted. When I thank God for stuff, 
I mean it, and hopefully we all do. I'm sure we do. But recognize that. We're all going to hop into, into 60 different cars and pull into garages 20 feet apart. That's amazing, the blessing that God has bestowed on us. And we don't apologize or feel guilty for it. That's different. That's, God makes one rich and adds no sorrow to it. Don't misunderstand me. I'm not so, oh, we should all eat you know, generic or, or whatever. I'm not saying that. I'm saying give credit where credit is due. God, this is absolutely astounding. And you know what? Every nation that makes God their God has this, will have this. Everywhere the gospel has touched, everywhere the gospel has been preached, everywhere the gospel has been effective, it's absolutely metamorphosized that nation, changed that country. Literacy levels rise. Women's rights rise. Human rights rise. Amazing things take place with Christianity all over the world when God is their God. So we don't have to feel sorry for us or guilty about it, but give thanks and give thanks and, and you know what, give back. And this isn't where we pass the plate. I mean packing parties and way beyond that. Give back, you know, at least that tenth, at least, you know. That was under the law. and We've gone way beyond the law now. Anyway, let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you for the nation you've blessed us. We, we were born in this nation, not by our will, but by your will. And we're so thankful. We could have born, been born any place else on this earth. And that had been fine. We'd do whatever you want us to do. But we were born in a place where we got to know who Jesus was. Anytime we wanted, on any different corner of the street, we could have learned about Jesus, and we are this morning. And we've given our lives to you, God. We've, we've, we've dedicated our lives to you. We don't want them back. They're yours to use how you see fit because of all the blessing you've given us, because of the joy and the fruit and the bounty and not just the stuff, but the, the freedom, God, the liberty that we have. It's from you. And so we thank you for that this morning from the bottom of our hearts to the top of our hearts. We thank you, God. And we give you all the glory and credit for everything that we have. Now, Lord, Help us to look around with this blessing, with this responsibility. Lord, there's, there's things we can do. Help us to see what those are and to do them. We can't take care of everything, but we can certainly bless those who will be blessed, who will receive it in the name of Jesus. That's the key. They have to know where this comes from. They have to acknowledge the same thing we've acknowledged. We can't just keep showering our blessings from you on people that are still worshiping idols, still worshiping themselves, they need to turn to you. So God, in, in Jesus' name, will be a blessing. In Jesus' name, and they need to understand that and receive it in Jesus' name as well. And may you get all the glory, because you are king. Whether they all acknowledge it or not, you are our ruler. And all authority belongs to you, God. So Lord, thank you. We love you. Bless these guys as they go this week. Lord, give us opportunities to minister your truth, which is far more valuable than the gold we have in our bank account. And then also, Lord, help us to back it up with that gold in the bank account, God, that we would bless people who are hungry and in need, God, but we'd give them the truth so they'd know where it comes from. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.